This is Mental Work, the podcast unpacking the challenges faced by early career psychologists. And I'm your host, Dr. Brunwyn Milkins. Hey, mental workers. Raise your hand if you need a break. I just raised mine. Today's episode is all about breaks. How do we take them? What do they look like? How do we prepare? And what's a good break versus a bad break? As I'm recording this podcast, it is four days before Christmas, and I can say with absolute certainty that I have crawled over the finish line for this year. If you are much the same, then you probably need a break as well. People have a lot of questions about breaks, and I'm here to answer some of them just to help you have a practical outline of how to do it effectively. Let's come back to what is a break. I had to have a think about this and I've defined it as dedicated time off away from clinical work that is uninterrupted. The reason why I've defined it that way is because breaks don't happen by accident when you're an early career psychologist or in your later career as a psychologist either. They have to be dedicated time off that you take deliberately. And let's look at why we take a break. Well, if you are like me and you want to have a sustainable career that is even enjoyable, then breaks will be really essential. Here's three reasons why we take a break. Firstly, to rest. Secondly, to refresh. And third, to decompress. I actually think they are all synonyms of each other, but I really like it. It just rolls off the tongue as rest, refresh, decompress. If we come back to our definition of a break, we'll know if it's a good break or a bad break. So for example, if you still feel tired or dreading clients at the end of a break, it wasn't rest, refreshed or decompressing that break. And look, everyone needs a break from clinical work. You are not getting gold stars or certificates if you don't take a break from seeing clients. What you will get is a nice dose of burnout. And that's what we don't want. If you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you're on the same page as me with that. And this is backed up by the research literature. When people don't take breaks, they are more prone to burnout, exhaustion, and emotional exhaustion as well. They feel like they just cannot get through the day. They are less effective in their work. And for us as psychologists, we want to be as best we can there for our clients. So not only does taking a break help us, it really helps our clients and then it can help us to feel more satisfied and engaged with our work. Hopefully you have now accepted that you need a dedicated break. Let's talk how many, how long for, and how do I prepare and what do I do? Firstly, breaks look different for everyone. What I'm about to say might not apply to you at all. I'm giving you my own personal account through what I have discovered in my own clinical work. The first year of my clinical work, I did not take enough breaks. I remember taking two weeks off over Christmas and as soon as I got back on day one, myself and my colleagues were like, this is not enough of a break. This year, I've trialed a different approach and I took a week off every six weeks So I would do six weeks of practice and then the seventh week I would take that week off. And I'm currently taking five weeks off over Christmas and New Year. Yes, five. And these are for my own personal reasons. 
So I really enjoyed this year on reflection, taking the week off every six weeks because I just had to say to myself, okay, I'll get through this chunk of time. And I found that it really did help with the resting, refreshing and decompressing. The reason why I've taken five weeks off over Christmas and New Year is because I was considering taking four weeks off, but then I know myself and myself already has like five professional development courses to do. So I'm not really going to take four weeks off. Remember our definition of uninterrupted non-clinical work? I know myself that I'm going to do some clinical work in that it's professional development. So that's not time away from the clinical work. And I added on an extra week, almost to penalize myself, I suppose. You might have heard me say how much time I have off and been like, wow, I thought I couldn't take any time off at all. Please remember, if you are an employee or a contractor, particularly if you're an employee, you are entitled to time off. Remember the research. You're allowed to take time off because it reduces your risk of burnout and makes you a more effective employee. So your workplace should be accommodating for the time off and breaks that you want to take. As a contractor and solo practitioner, you are your own boss. You get to decide how much time you take off. If you are noticing throughout the year that you are exhausted and just can't get back on top, then a break might be what is needed. I like planning my breaks ahead of time. And so with my breaks, I've already put them in my calendar for next year. And I have really enjoyed this approach. I've looked at all the public holidays and also maximized my time around that. I know it's not typical to have exercises in a podcast, but honestly, if you have your phone open and you have your calendar, I would encourage you after this episode to start booking your time off. And here's a hint, whichever amount of time you give yourself off, add in an extra two weeks. This is in recognition that we often don't take enough time off and we often underestimate the time that is needed to rest, refresh and decompress. This is entirely driven usually by our own schemas, so unrelenting standards or self-sacrificing. We worry about our clients understandably or we think that we're not being a good clinician if we're not there for them all the time. It can also be driven by professional expectations and pressure. I've noticed amongst psychologists that I don't even know where I get this from. Nobody has said it to me explicitly, but I feel like I have to be there more than I actually am. I need to be on all the time, accepting referrals, seeing clients. And the truth is we don't have to. We actually need to make this career sustainable, enjoyable for ourselves without the burnout. And rest is a key strategy for this. And in 2023, now that you've booked off your time or you're planning to do so after this episode, make sure you reflect at the end of the year. How did it go for me? Did I feel less tired at the end of my break? If you didn't, ask yourself, why was that? Was it because I didn't take enough time off? Was it the time of year was not the right time? Or was it that I had other commitments booked during that time so it wasn't actually a good break? It's really important to reflect on what works for you and not try to hold yourself to some unrealistic standard that someone else has made for you. Let's take a turn and look at what you do during a break. I've got two columns in front of me when I was drafting this episode, and I've got good break versus bad break. Note, all the things in bad break are all things that I've done. This is definitely a do as I say, not as I do podcast episode. So in the bad break column, I have doing non-private practice work. 
in my breaks that I've taken, I have done, for example, mental health first aid courses. And I've been like, oh, great. I can book in a mental health first aid course during my private practice break. This is contrary to our goals of the break of resting, refreshing, decompressing. So I've put it in the bad break category. Another one in the bad break category is catching up on private practice work. I've done this many a time where I've been like, oh, goody, I can catch up on my case formulations and treatment plans and my case notes. And then the week is up and I've had half a day's break. Professional development. This one is on the fence. Some people find professional development, a good break from clinical work. For me, I do not. I do not enjoy the stimulation that comes with professional development, often face-to-face or online. It really drains me. And that's something that I've noticed about myself. So for me, professional development is in the bad break category. And finally, this is an obvious one. Again, it is something that I have done. I have seen clients in my break. I know. So bad, right? And I've been like, oh, no, the clients really need me and I'll squish them in. And I've done that. Listener, it has never worked out well. I've always regretted it. And I wish and hope for myself in the future that I do not do this. Try and take my advice and don't do it as well. Don't see clients during your break. Those are all my bad breaks. What I've got in my good break column, it is nothing or whatever the hell you wish to do. That is not clinical work. And that is the individual variation in a break. For me, I do not like seeing people that much during my break. I find it too much. I enjoy just being at home, doing jigsaw puzzles, watching movies, knitting and playing guitar. Those are my decompressing activities. For you, it might look quite different and you might enjoy catching up with friends. Again, this is needing to reflect on your own personal needs and what will help you achieve that rest, refresh and decompress. Now on to the final meaty bit of the podcast. How do I prepare for a break? As I mentioned earlier, you need to schedule your breaks ahead of time because breaks do not happen by accident. And if you don't, you will not get a break. So firstly, at the start of the year, book out the time in your calendar or let your employer know in advance, this is when I'm planning on taking breaks. So you might need to draft a few emails and let your employer or whoever else needs to know A few weeks before your break, you will need to let your clients know that you're taking a break. Note, you don't necessarily need to tell clients if you're just taking a week off. Sometimes I've said to clients when I've taken my week off every six weeks, I won't be there next week, I'll be on leave. But it hasn't been a big deal. Even for clients that I've seen weekly, I've just said I'm taking some leave next week and I'll see you the week after. And that's been fine. I have a continuous policy all year round that I don't see clients for emergencies. So they know that if they have an emergency, they are to call Lifeline or another helpline to assist them through that emergency. I'm able to take emails, but I won't reply. Or if it's clinical information, I would just do a short reply that acknowledges that they have sent me the email, but doesn't have a lengthy clinical reply. For my longer break, so for this five-week break that I'm currently taking, I sent all my clients an email about six weeks out from the break, informing them that I was going to be taking a break, letting them know that I would create an action plan for them, each of them in their sessions, so that they would feel safe and contained during the holidays, not because I don't think that they're incapable without me, but just because it can be a bit stressful during the holiday period. 
I made sure that I let each of my clients know verbally that this was happening. And for each client that I got that was new or a potential new client over the past six weeks, I've been informing them upfront that I might only be able to see them for one or two sessions and then there will be a five-week break. Are they okay with that? And I've also made sure I check the referral to make sure that they are not a client who would not benefit from having that long of a break and referred on as appropriate. I also let my main GP referrers know. I let them know by text because I'm on text basis with my main referrers, but you might wish to call the GP reception or tell your employer and then they can inform the GPs. Whoever needs to know, you've got three stakeholders here, your employer, your clients, and the GPs or other referrers. So if you work in NDIS, it might be NDIS coordinators who you need to inform. It doesn't need to be lengthy when you're informing them and you don't need to give many excuses. It just needs to be a simple, hi everyone, I'm just informing you that I'm going on leave for five weeks. If you need someone to contact in the event of emergency, you can contact Lifeline or other services and you'll list them below. That's it. One more thing. If you're taking a longer than usual break, say two or three or four weeks, and you're worried, do I actually need to have another therapist to refer my clients to in my absence? I brought this one to supervision and they said I was being overly pedantic. So no, you don't need to refer your clients out to another clinician. However, if you work in a group practice, you could discuss with your employer the possibility that they might see another therapist in your absence. Or you can always create a safety plan with that client and make sure that they're aware of external services as well. We don't have to be overly responsible for our clients. Our clients are strong, autonomous people who can survive without us. However, it's always disclaimer, applying that to your own individual clients and making sure that you're aware of their circumstances and any risks that they might have. If you're at all concerned about the risk profile of a client, for example, you're afraid of their risk to self might be quite high during the holidays, discuss with a supervisor or your employer. Make sure you have these open conversations. It's not bad or reflect badly on you as a practitioner to be cautious and aware of how you can best help your clients. Oh, and final thing, make sure you put a holiday email on. I haven't done this yet, but it's an auto reply that you can set up in your email, which is telling people who email you that you will be back on X date and you are currently out of leave. Sometimes if you want to, you can say, I will not be checking emails. And if your matter is urgent or important, please resend the email when you come back on X date. But I just have mindset usually as I will be back on this date and I will take a few days to get back to you, but I will get back to your email. And I always have in my email signature that My practice is not an emergency service, so contact Lifeline in the event of an emergency or attend your nearest hospital emergency department. Mental workers, that's a wrap on this episode. A big congratulations for getting through the year. And thank you for listening to this podcast. I've really appreciated that you have taken the time to listen, provide your feedback and provide your suggestions. This is the end of season two. I've got a stellar season three planned and I've already recorded a few episodes of that. It will be released in January next year. Wishing you all a happy holiday season and take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Mental Work, the podcast for early career psychologists. Podcasts are pretty tough and it's really hard to get the word out there. So there are a couple of things you could do to really help us out. One, leave a review. Second, consider sharing the podcast with your peers. We would love you for it. Thanks for listening and see you next time.